So if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, that it holds fast over time, that it is good and that it is true. Will your spirit open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds to receive your word today. Speak through Ryan. May his words fall away and your word rule and reign. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's great to see you guys. We got the place looking festive. Super thankful for our team to kind of bring in the Advent season um, also thankful, even, even though we are going to be breaking from Romans during the Advent season, I'm thankful that we are turning a corner in the book of Romans today. Uh, if you have been uh, trekking through the book of Romans with us, what you've noticed is Paul's been building this argument for us about what the doctrine of salvation is and what it looks like to receive it. Um, he's, he's told us about uh, how the world, all the world is lost, right? We are, we are totally depraved people and we're all lost in different yet similar ways, right? And then he, he, he builds on this argument of Romans 4 and 5 of what it looks like to be justified, declared righteous by faith alone. And now he begins to expand on that doctrine of salvation that isn't just this once and for all declaration, but it's also this journey that we call sanctification. Uh, so what is sanctification? I'll define it like this. Sanctification is the work of God's spirit where he continues to make us like Jesus as we live in God's family through putting sin to death and walking in the newness of life. It involves being alive in God's spirit, actually being justified, being a follower of Jesus, but there's also this putting to death of a, the old man, right, the, the old Adam in us, and putting on the newness of Christ. And, and I'll just say this as we get into it. The order of salvation matters tremendously. Paul will... Uh, he, he will stitch the entire argument together for us at the end of Romans 8, and we'll see it. It'll be beautiful uh, later in the winter. 
But if you get this backwards, you will live a life of misery and shame, friends. You'll consistently think that you should be farther along than you are. The order matters. There's a reason that Romans 3 through 5 comes before Romans 6 and 7, right? Um, and and we, uh, when we get into trouble with this, when, and, and we get into trouble because we lack joy, uh, we live in shame and guilt, when we get into trouble on this, it's almost always from the fact that we think um, that, I, that, that our salvation is grounded in our own performance instead of the preceding justification that we have by faith alone. Like we are building our spiritual house through the solid ground of the resurrection of Jesus that we have faith in apart from our works. And this is really good news to us. So as I kind of tee us up for Romans 6 and 7, which is all about sanctification, I want to uh, help us avoid two extremes uh, this morning. Um, The first extreme is this, excessive frustration with progress in the gospel. You see, this is what we think sanctification should look like, right? See this right here? See that, that bottom right? That, that, the dot on the bottom is where you come to faith in Jesus. The arrow is, is the trajectory of your life, right? And so, uh, you know, we think, you know, God has saved us. He will save you. And sanctification is realizing that he also is saving you. Like God is also saving you right now. And if you're anything like me, you get really disappointed when you look at your life and you just say, I wish I was farther along. In fact, we are disappointed in the way God is progressing us in our, in our salvation. We're like, God, you're doing this wrong. It should look like this. I know I've read the Bible. It should be like this, which shows that we haven't read the Bible, right? Um, Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Church. God is using absolutely everything in your life to sovereignly make you more like Jesus. Nothing is wasted in your life. No hardship, no sin that you've gotten yourself into, no relational conflict, no problems, no no revealed besetting sin. Nothing is wasted. Everything, friends, is aimed at making you more like Jesus. That's the promise that we have in the gospel. But that's one extreme. The other extreme may be more like this. It's failure to see God's spirit empowering your progress in the gospel. You know, if we thought that sanctification looked like that upward trajectory, here's what it actually looks like, right? You laugh because it's true, right? You're you're trying to figure out where am I at on that, and you're hoping you're toward the top. You're probably not. It's all right. The Lord still loves you. So the other extreme to avoid is is that we think that God, you know, we know that God has saved us, but now we must change ourselves to match the pattern of his life. That it's up to me to pay God back by changing my own life. You know, to see yourself and others this way is to ignore the power of God in your life. It's to seek behavior modification both on behaviors as opposed to spirit-filled transformation, that there is no uh, copies or, or, or fraudulent activity in it. It's, it is a natural f- overflow of who you are in Jesus. Philippians 1.6 gives us this rock-solid promise that you should never forget. This is one of those passages that, if you don't have it memorized, would be a great one to commit to memory. Paul says this at the beginning of his letter to the Philippians. He says, I'm sure of this. He who began the good work... He who justified you, he who called you to himself, 
He will carry it to completion. He will bring you to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're not going to get finished until he finishes you, is, is what the Scripture's saying. And that is really, really, really good news to us. The same grace that saves you is the grace that changes you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises you. And all of the Christian life is shot through with meaning when we understand this. But sanctification, man. You know, if I had a friend that was unfamiliar with Christianity and he were to ask me about kind of the, the, the order of salvation and how it works, justification would be kind of an easy one to explain. It's unbelievable, but it's easy to explain. Sanctification, though, that's, you know, in fact, I have a whole uh, playlist of YouTube videos um, that I would show this person, but because I keep them, that that uh, that that basically show you kind of what sanctification is li- like in real life. One of them is this uh, it's this video of this older guy falling down on an escalator, and like he can't stand up, but it keeps going up anyway. You know what I mean? Maybe you've seen that. Maybe I shouldn't be laughing at old men falling on escalators. I don't know. But here's another one of my favorite ones. Check this one out right here. Okay, this lady's saying like, hey. <laughs> This, this dumb sheep is caught in this ditch, right? And the sheep, here's what the sheep is thinking. I can't believe I fell in this ditch again. If, if, I, can, if I can just, you know, maybe stop sinning. I'm, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to fall into this ditch again. This guy's helping the sheep out for the very last time because he's never, ever, ever going to get himself into this ditch again. And this is just like us, right? We're never going to sin again. We're never going to get in this ditch again. And you know what's going to happen. Right? That's sanctification right there, right? You're like, I'm never getting in this ditch again. I'm never falling into the same besetting sin again. And then it happens. Here's our big idea for today. The Christian life is a life of struggling our way forward in the new life that God brings us uh, through the resurrection. Let me remind you, of where we're at in Romans, really two points today uh, that we're going to look at. I know you're, I'm not giving you that bonus third point today. Two points today. The first one is this, is that there's a tragic reality of lifeless sanctification that, that we're called to really avoid. Paul leans into it in Romans 6. He says, Here, here's what sanctification is not. But then uh, secondly, what we're going to look at is, is what it looks like to channel the reality of the resurrection in our lives as we follow Jesus. So let's look at that first point. Let me remind you of Romans 6, 1 through 4, as we dig in here. Paul says this, hey, because Romans 5.20 says, you know, um, should, should grace, um, uh, should sin abound because, you know, actually, let me read it. Uh, it says, now the law came uh, in order to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So you get this picture that sin's increasing. We're becoming more aware of it. But grace is abounding and outstretching it at every turn. And so Paul uh, does what he has done several places in the book of Romans where he, he kind of beats us to the punch on addressing the questions that we have, right? So here's what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace can just abound? By no means. How could we who died to sin still live in it, still seek it as a source of life? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in that same newness of life. So, so Paul's leaning into the questions that we have, the arguments that we have here, and he's answered some objections that we all have about the Christian faith. And we particularly have these questions when we ourselves are in a, a place of kind of self-righteousness, right? We're like, how can these people just take advantage of God like this? We're never saying this when we're the one in the ditch, right? <clears throat> Everyone is just going to take advantage of God's grace, and at some point that fund of grace is just going to run out. That's kind of what we, what we think. But Paul comes back with this. He says, if we're asking this question, we really don't get it. We don't really get what the gospel's done. Because what the gospel says is that we've actually died with Christ. That we were all sentenced to death, and Jesus died for us, and we died with him. And the new life that we now live is not powered by that life of sin. It's powered by a life of righteousness that Jesus set out for us. So he says, shall we continue in sin? By no means. And here's the deal. Receiving God's grace, it, it's not just about forgiving you so you can get on with your life without shame and guilt. When you have to receive grace, it actually changes you. It rewires you, friends. I think a lot of times we think about, oh, I'm just forgiven so I can, I can keep going on without the, the shame and the guilt. When you have to increase your capacity to receive a gift from God, it rewires and, and changes how you functionally live in life. This is what Paul's talking about here. He says, you're imagining your same old self without the shame and guilt. That's not what's happened here. What is uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says? If anyone's in Christ, uh, he's a new creation. He's not an old creation with a clean slate. He's a new creation. And it's, and it's this beautiful thing. Something happens when you learn to receive the gift. Sin is about taking. It's about stealing. It's about deceptively acquiring more apart from God. But this new life is about our capacity to receive, not our capacity to take. And it's, it's wild because the more we receive, the, the differently that we actually live. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The most joyous people in this world are the most forgiven people. But that's not how most of us understand what God is doing in our sanctification. It's one thing to know this in your head, and it's another thing to live with in your hearts. So why do we keep sinning after we've been forgiven by God, after our slate has been cleaned? Paul says it's because we've forgotten the gospel. What's, what's verse, verse two says this. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We have forgotten that we have died to sin, that it is no longer a viable source of life for Christians. We've forgotten that. And, and we, we confess every single week we come to this table, we have forgotten because what are we doing at this table? We're remembering his death. We say, we forget it every, every week. We have gospel amnesia. We forget it every single week. And that's why we think we can just kind of keep going on and, and sinning. But, but every time we have to come and receive grace afresh, it changes us. And that's the beauty of sanctification. So then Paul uses this picture of baptism. It's a helpful illustration of what is happening in the Christian life. Um, and he has, this, he has in mind this, this um, kind of portrait of a baptism by immersion as he talks about this. And we, we think that baptism is a great mode of, uh, I'm sorry, immersion is a great mode of baptism. We don't think it's the only one, but, it, but it's a great mode. And so, so you know, he's kind of helping us kind of stitch together this, this 
this idea of dying to sin and being made alive in Christ. And he uses the picture of a watery grave, right? So when does the death of the old man in us occur? He says, he says it occurs at your baptism. Now, now, he's talking about our spiritual union with Christ. And we know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, our spiritual union and our, phys- our physical union through baptism and our spiritual union uh, through faith are not always united. Sometimes they are in the book of Acts. It looks like they are, right? In some of your stories, they are. You, you, you believed and you were baptized. It was as simple as that. But for a lot of us, they're not united and they don't have to be. What matters is that we are physically united through baptism and we are spiritually united through faith. That's what matters. It's a circumcision of the heart, right? So this is what, uh, uh, this is what Paul is talking about here. And, and, and it's specifically this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. And I'll, I'll just say this about it. Some people believe that a baptism of the Holy Spirit means speaking in the prayer language of tongues. And they think, and they say, if you don't, if you don't speak in the prayer language of tongues, you clearly do not have the Holy Spirit. We don't believe that at this church because it's not in the Bible anywhere, friends. Some of you have come out of traditions that have taught that and, and, and you felt that pressure. And I'm really sorry uh, about that journey maybe that you've been on, but we don't believe that that is what uh, the scriptures teach uh, around that. Um, but what we do believe is, so what I wanna share with you is how do you know you have the Holy Spirit, right? Um, because the Spirit gifts us, it gives us new life, it unites us to Christ. The Holy Spirit's a really big part of the Trinity, right, of the Godhead. Um, and so, you know, we only have the power to walk in this newness of life that Paul talks about, this resurrected lifestyle, um, if we indeed have the Holy Spirit alive in us. So how can we know that we have the Holy Spirit, that we've been indeed baptized by the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, is it the goosebumps that you get in a good worship song? <laughs> you know, what is the Holy Spirit? And how do I know that I, if I have it or not? Well, Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14 have been such a help to me when I consider this about myself. Because oftentimes when I'm doing bad in my kind of sanctification journey, I wonder, do I really have the Spirit of God living in me? And I know some of you, maybe most of us, we wonder the same thing. Paul says this in, in his letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, in him, in Jesus, you also, when you, when you heard the word of the truth, because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord. When you heard the word of the truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, so that outer call came to you, and you believed in him, so that inner call was united inside of you by faith, you were actually sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were, you were sealed. You were sealed off from, from, from death in Adam to life in Christ. Death in Adam is no longer a future for you. Only life in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And we know, if you've been around the church for any, any uh, length of time, the Holy Spirit also gives us gifts, right, to build up the body of Christ, to serve one another. The Holy Spirit also magnifies the scriptures in our heart and makes them good news to us. The Holy Spirit is working all around us and in us. That's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul says it's, it's an impossible conclusion to continue, to imagine yourself continuing in a life of sin instead of a life walking in the newness of the spirit-filled nature. Francis Schaeffer says that the two most important points in history for each of us are this. One, the moment in history that the gospel became a reality when Jesus really physically died on that cross and was buried and raised. That moment 
had to happen for us. And I'm so thankful that not only believers, but unbelievers note that that happened. Jesus Christ is a historical fiction, uh, uh, a historical person in this, in this world. So that's the first point that matters. The second point in history is this, the moment that that became a reality for you by faith. The moment that you believed that he died for you. And from that, we have the Holy Spirit alive in us, and we have a new way to live. And in believing the gospel and receiving the gospel, we are baptized or united with him in this death. And so when did the old man, Adam, die in us? The moment that you believed is when he, when he died in you. And I know you're thinking, what, the old man died? Why does he still keep showing up in my life, right? Why, why does the old man still keep tempting me? Well, it's, it's one thing uh, to sin. It's another thing to live under sin, right? So, so what, what's happening in us whenever that old man tries to resurrect himself is that he's in the graveyard, in the grave, and the enemy wants us to leave he wants us to leave the, 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 the old man, just kind of the casket open in the ground, right? So that he can kind of get up and resurrect any time. Jesus says, it's finished. It's finished. That old you can no longer resurrect itself because when you believed in Jesus, that man died. That woman died and he's as good as dead. He can no, is no longer a source of life. And so whenever we, whenever we are, are tempted to sin, um, it's like we're going to the graveyard with a shovel trying to resurrect that old, lifeless man or woman that we used to be. But the Holy Spirit, friends, has given us a completely new way to live. Our lives in Adam are buried in a watery grave, never to be raised again. This is what Paul is teaching us here. He goes on in verse five to say this. For if we've been united with him in this death like we just talked about, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, meaning that our bodies are, are dead to us and our, our sinful lifestyles are no longer a viable source of life for us to consider. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. It's one thing to sin, it's another thing to be enslaved to sin is what Paul's saying. For one who has died has been set free from sin, from the enslavement of sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So if, you, if you're like me and you get <clears throat> exhausted in your battle against sin, Verse five starts to lead us to the key to this new walk that we have in Jesus. Actually living like the resurrection is coming. I had someone tell me before an interview that I had for like my first big job, you know. He says, man, if you want the job, you gotta dress the part, right? You gotta dress like you got the job before you got the job. So I was interviewing with Perimeter Church and I'm like getting sweater vests and stuff. I'm like getting fixed up. I'm like, I'm gonna show these Presbyterians I want this job, right? And uh, it's so funny, but the, you know, what he means is dress like you deserve the job and you're going to get it. And it's really not a fake or, or plastic reality, right? It's more about confidence that you're worthy of what's being offered. Um, so what's it look like for us to dress the part in our sanctification? I'm not talking about modifying your behavior and hiding your sin. 
In fact, if, if at any point in your life you're hiding sin, you're in a very bad place. That's not a future for us. We're not burying our, you're concealing our sins. It's about being walking in the light. But it's to put on the robe of righteousness even when we're still in this body of sin, right? To put on the robe of righteousness that is yours in the resurrection even while we're still in this body of sin. And when you do that, it actually changes the way that you relate to sin. We need to live as it's already finished And when the Spirit reveals sin and it shows us that we're still in progress, we don't allow that to to define us. Instead, we confess it and we release it to the Lord. And we've said this over and over and over again at this church. Jesus never called you to manage your sin. He told you to confess it and let it go. He doesn't call, if if you find yourself on this kind of consistent management plan of your sin, it's, it's keeping you united to the sin instead of by faith to Jesus, who's already dealt with the sin. The enemy knows that if he can keep you in the graveyard, he can have a foothold on your progress in the gospel. And when we're still in the graveyard and we're looking at the headstone of our old covenant head, Adam, who, who represents us, we're so fixated on ourselves that we can't actually embrace the gift of the new life that Jesus desires to give to us. When we can't consider the possibility of Adam still living in our mortal bodies today and Christ living in us too, we've embraced two covenantal heads, right? One is the walking dead and one is the resurrected life. And we always feel stuck and disappointed when we stay in this place. It's a struggle, guys. It's a struggle to put on the new man. I wanna show you a a quick video. I know you're thinking two videos in one week. If you're new here, this is abnormal, I promise. But it's the best visual illustration imaginable on this topic that we're talking about. It's a clip of a a rendition of Victor Hugo's story, uh, Les Miserables. Uh, And there's this scene uh, at the beginning of the story that shows this man, uh, his name is Jean Valjean, and he was in prison for 19 years for stealing bread for his hungry family. And he gets out of prison, and he's shown grace uh, by this bishop who invites him into his house when he's homeless, um, and, he, and he gives him rest and food. But in the middle of the night, the old man Adam in here is resurrected, not the free man whose, whose, whose sin has been dealt with, but the old man is resurrected. Uh, he kicks in, and, and I want you to watch this event, but then I also want you to see how the bishop engages with him and restores him and reminds him of his new life. Uh, check out the side screens.
So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank and... God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. time I watch that Whew. moment G grace is just it's bewildering when we understand it friends you can't go on robbing the bishop when you've been shown bewildering grace right yet each and every one of us still go on in our own ways we're tempted to keep on with that old lifestyle this is a portrait of what gospel shaped communities like unrobing one, taking the hood off of one another as we share life together, as we share grace together. The father meets us with his own sacrifice and he says, oh, but you forgot the candlesticks too. Grace abounds, you forgot about grace abounding over sin. You thought you had to steal my glory, you thought you had to take my glory, but what you used to strive to steal and even more than that is now given to you as a gift. So friends, what, as you watch that clip, I'm just curious to how that related to your own struggle to be sanctified in Jesus. I wanna encourage you to do something with whatever surfaced in that this week. Confess that, share that with a friend. Walk in the newness of life that God is offering to us. The second part of what I wanna share with you is this, is, is what does it look like to actually to walk in the resurrection before we're in the resurrection? What does it look like to channel the reality of the resurrection in our sanctification. I've got three words that I want to close out with. Reckon, reign, and relinquish. These are the three words that Paul uses in Romans 6, 11, 11 through 14 if you really want to walk in the power 
of the resurrection. Let me, let me remind you what he says here in verse 11. He says, so you also must consider or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let sin therefore, uh, let, no, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Your body parts, right? Your body. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Reckon. It's the first word he uses. It can be translated as consider as well. Reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive in God. A reckoning, what is it? It's a precise application of a specific truth, right? It comes to, to reckon on you. It's kind of an accounting term. It's when everything kind of comes out into the light. It's, it's calculated application, whether it's accounting or a reckoning of knowledge. Consider or reckon the object of your faith is the reality of your faith, is what Paul is saying. The first thing Paul calls believers to do is to live as like the resurrection is already of in effect in your life. Even before the physical resurrection actually happens when Jesus returns and he gives us new bodies. But live not only like heaven is coming, but it's already alive in you. That's what Paul is offering to us. That is, you know, we're able to see the opportunity to sin and to confess it, uh, to stare it down in the graveyard, to look at that tombstone and to say with all the faith that God's given to us, that is no longer who I am. To have the confidence to look into the face of the old man that wants to resurrect itself in you and to say, that is no longer me because it's finished. That's the offer of the gospel, to live like the resurrection is real before it even comes. That's what it means to walk by faith and to put on this newness of life. And I want you to blow this off of some kind of self, self-help kind of ism, because that's not what it is. Jesus rose from the dead to give you victory. Your struggle to experience that victory uh, is because we live like Jesus is still in the ground, friends. That's where the struggle comes from. So whatever your specific vices are, whatever the specific ditch that you keep jumping into is, I wanna invite you to consider what it might be like to stare it down, to confront it, to confess it, and to see it in the grave and Jesus reigning triumphantly beside you. That's what it means to walk in this resurrection because Paul will say this in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Second thing is this, he says, reign. Do not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. And this sounds like a behavior modification. Okay, here we go again, right? I gotta act like I'm not in the ditch when I'm in the ditch. It's not what Paul's saying. Remember, we're walking as if, we're walking like we got the part before we got the part, right? We're walking in the resurrection. So Jesus and Adam cannot be co-heirs of our lives. It's like that episode of The Office, if you're an Office fan, where where, uh, the Scranton branch of Dunder Mifflin not only has two, or one manager, but two managers. You remember how well that works out? It's awful, right? Michael and Jim trying to manage The Office doesn't work. Same thing is true in your own life. There are not, there, you know, the old man Adam and the new, 
that Jesus, they're not co-heirs of your life. It's Jesus or it's Adam. And, uh, you, you know, Adam is either king by birthright or Jesus is by rebirth in faith, this new spiritual life. And Paul is saying we have the opportunity to crown a new king in our lives through faith. And if we've crowned Jesus as our covenantal head, his righteousness is ours, his death is our death, his resurrection is our resurrection. If if we've crowned him and our bodies, and we've given our bodies and our lives as service to that king, why do we still let the old king reign? And when we do see that the, the king is trying to hijack the reign of Jesus through our lives, why do we just let him stay? He's saying we have a power to not let sin reign in our bodies. And that power is the power to crown a king in our lives, the lordship of Jesus in our lives. Friends, you are a new creation. And we don't have to let sin be king in our lives anymore. It's one thing to sin, and it's another thing to be under sin. To sin means that we are constantly turning back to the king and recrowning him through our lives as we confess our faults and our sins, and we're saying, we st- you're still my king, Jesus. And he's saying, you're still mine because I lose nothing of which belongs to me. And that's really good news to us. And that's what gives us the confidence to stare down our sin, confess it, and repent from it. The third thing is this, relinquish. Choosing to no longer let your body yield to the old man. Our enemy, through our old sinful nature, And our physical bodies seeks to leave the grave with all of your sinful proclivities just wide open, right? He seeks to tempt you into resurrecting that old man that's died with Christ. And he does this by convincing us to submit to sin, to allow sin to reign in our bodies, to to let our bodies be an accomplice, you know, to our sinful hearts, right? Uh, To let them follow suit using our physical bodies as instruments of death in this world. Now, what does Paul say? He says, no more. We're not just gonna excuse this thing and let him stay here. No more. When we functionally just yield our bodies up to sin, we are giving the devil weapons to use against the Lord. That's what Paul's saying here. We no longer have to do this. There's a different kind of power alive in us. Death is no longer our trajectory. And we can live as though the resurrection has already happened because God has made you new and is in the process of making all things new in and through you. So as I close, where is it in your life, there's kind of one big point here today, where is it in your life that you look back and you maybe just see a pattern of yourself yielding to the enemy? I mean, just letting him take advantage of you, right? Where is that in your life? Maybe the one place that the ditch has just kind of stayed open, right? Where is it? Is it it in the way that you see yourselves? You can't just, you can't imagine a future where you don't feel shame and guilt. That's a sinful response to the gospel because what you're saying is you're you're choosing to believe your own word over God's word, right? Is it in the way that you see others, you know, through through gossip and and slander and, and evil toward other people? Is it in what you do when no one is watching through your behaviors? Is it in what you've done in your past? You just can't seem to receive enough grace to get over that. Where have you given the enemy a free pass in your life to rule and to reign? 
And what might it look like for you this morning to believe that part of you is not available to the enemy for his purposes anymore? That part is gone. It is buried with Jesus. What would it mean for you to see Jesus standing on top of the grave of the old you and sharing his resurrection power with you even before he returns? This, friends, is the reckoning of faith on the soul of the saints, and it's available to all of us to walk in the newness of life. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we, uh, we come to you today with a familiar struggle, Lord. A struggle that we start out laughing about this morning and we come to this table crying about. A struggle that many of us think that we'll carry to the grave, Lord. A wrestling with sin, a compromise of sin, a yielding to sin. And Father, you've called us out through your word today. You've called us out to help us to see that we have believed too little about the resurrection and far too much about the power of the enemy. Yet, Father, we've never confessed it. We've never thought that the resurrection was actually that powerful, Lord. Today, Lord, I pray that you would enable our hearts to walk in the resurrection like it is ours today, Lord. So, Father, I pray that this place would become a place where we are laying down the old man, that we're reminding ourselves of what is in the ground so that we can walk forward with the new spirit-filled life that you've given to us in Jesus. Two most important moments to remember in history, the moment that Jesus died and was raised for our sins and the moment that his life became our life. Father, would you remind our forgetful hearts this morning of that truth? And we ask for that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.